You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Would you stand with me? We're going to get ready to go into worship. This song talks about a glorious day. Y'all may know it. It says, Clap like this right. Here we go. Buried beneath my shame. Yeah. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I met you. And I was breathing, but not alive. Yeah. And all my failures I tried to hide. It was my turn till I met you. Come on, sing it if you know it. You call my name. Into your glorious day, you call my name. Yeah. You call my name, and I ran. Come on, say it. When I was broken, 
everyone and welcome to Kensington. My name's Adam. I'm part of the team at Clinton Township, but on behalf of all of us, we just want to start off by saying welcome to church. We're so glad that you are here with us today. We have a couple of things coming up in the life of our church over the next couple of weeks. We want to cue you in and let you know what's available here as we progress on into the fall months. First, we're going to have our young adult rise retreat coming up in November. And at Kensington, we love our retreats because it's such a great opportunity for us to kind of have a springboard into our relationship with Jesus. I know I've spoken with a lot of people who've gone on a men's retreat, a woman's retreat, or a young adult retreat, and it's just done great things for their faith and their walk with Jesus. So we want to invite our young adults ages 18 to 29 to a weekend with us where we can have that opportunity. It's going to be November 11th through the 13th, and it's an open invitation. So whether you have a skeptical friend or somebody who's been walking on your faith journey with you for a long time, we would love for all of you to come out and be a part of this with us. It's a chance to make authentic friendships, enjoy the great outdoors, have meaningful conversations, rest, and even play a little bit all at the same time. For more information on this, you can go to our Kensington app or kensingtonchurch.org slash rise. And don't delay in registering because this is something you definitely don't want to miss. We also are going to have baptisms coming up in November, and we love baptisms because it's an opportunity for those of us who've decided to place our faith in Jesus to openly share with everybody that our life is not just about us anymore, but we're making a public declaration that we're following him. So we have a question for you. Is this your time? Are you ready to take that next step and make your public declaration of your faith and that you are following Jesus? If so, we want to celebrate with you, but we need you to register for that as well. So if you're interested in taking this step, we want you to go to kensingtonchurch.org slash baptisms where you can register because we need that information to get you all of the stuff you will need to participate in that part of our message. If you have any questions, one of our staff members at your campus would love to talk with you or you can stop out at the hub to get more information about it. We're going to jump back into week four of growing. Today, we're talking about the way God loves us and the implications that has for us here in our life. Well, good morning, Kensington. Morning. Welcome to those in the seats and those of you joining us online as well. Um, My name is Emily, and I have a couple of things that we want to make sure that you are in the know about here at Clinton Township. And the first one is actually one that is coming up this Friday evening. It is called our Trunk or Treat. And so we used to have it actually in the parking lot where Trunk or Treat was a little bit more applicable, but we actually one year had to move it inside to the lobby, and it went so incredibly well that now we are just going to forever do it in our lobby. I guess forever is a strong word. 
for this year, we are doing it in our lobby because it went so well in the past. And so instead of trunks, there'll be booths set up, uh, they'll be decorated, kids will wear their costumes, we'll do candy, they'll have bounce houses. So if you have kids, if you know somebody who has kids, if you are a kid at heart and you wanna have some fun on Friday night, dress up, come join us. We also are in need of a few more people to sign up to make tables to decorate those and have places for the kids to stop at. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you wanna do it as a small group, as a family, whatever it may be, uh, if you are interested in doing a booth, you do have to register for that. But if you plan on just coming to have a great time and have fun, then you do not need to register. You just need to show on up. Um, I do also just want to reiterate what Adam said in the video about baptism that is coming up within the next month or so. And so if that's something that you are having questions about, you've been thinking about, we would love if you would just stop at the hub, have a conversation with somebody about what that might mean for you, grab somebody that you know is on staff, talk to a small group leader. Uh, I don't know anything more beautiful than declarating that you want to live your life for Jesus. And we just hope that that's something that you would want to do here with us as a family. Um, and speaking of the hub, if you are new here, we would love for you to stop by. If We have a special little gift for you. If you have any questions, anything Kensington at all, they will be able to answer those questions for you there. All right, well, we are going to get moving with our service. Why don't you stand up, say hi to someone around you. weird to extend the greeting to you via video and then not come up and do it again because you already did it. But I did it on Tuesday, so I don't really feel like I did it. Now you see what my wife has to deal with and what happens in my brain. Well, for those of you that don't know, my name's Adam, and really just want to say good morning and welcome to church here. We're glad that you're with us. And as you've heard a couple of times, we're in our fourth week of this series entitled Growing that we've been in. And what we're doing is look at the context of what it means to actually grow big shocker there, right? In our relationship with God. What it, does it mean in our life from the day to day, week to week, month to month, to have this relationship dynamic with the king, the God of the universe, where we actually get to know him better because he knows everything about us and just a little bit of a spoiler, he's absolutely crazy about every single one of us. God has a deep, deep love for all of us that none of us, I think, fully will get our heads wrapped around in this life. But as we grow, as we seek God out, as we've talked about, as we learn to know not about him, but who he is, we can come to understand this great love that God has for us. But I know as I say that, there's even tension that it creates in the room. Because a lot of us have had love relationships and it just hasn't panned out the way that I've described. So what we do is we take that dynamic that we've been a part of and we presuppose it on God and we assume that he interacts, reacts with us in much the same way. But what if that's not what God's love is like at all? What if there's something different in the way that he looks at us, interactions, even in the moments in our lives where we mess up and we, quote unquote, go against the teachings of the Bible? How is it that God looks at us? What if he's different from all the other people and individuals we've experienced in our life? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to lead into the text and see the way that God defines how he loves us. And hopefully that will give us a little bit of a perspective in the way we should live our life. But before we do that, I want to take a moment and pray before we enter into that time. Would you all pray with me? Um, 
man, Lord, I just, uh, I think of the song we just sang, like you called my name and we ran out of the grave and that is the greatest news ever that you loved us so much that you would send your son to pay the penalty for my sin, for our sin. But I think there's so much of this abundant life that you want us to walk into that we miss. Like if it had just been for heaven, it would have been the greatest gift, but it's so much more. And when we go on this journey of becoming a follower of yours, a disciple, there's so much you want us to walk into. And I pray today that each and every one of us would leave with a better understanding of the way that you generally love every single one of us. We give this time to you and ask that you would work in it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we go any further, I'm going to have our ushers come forward and we're going to receive our offering. And let me start by saying, hey, if you're a guest, like this is your second or third, fourth time here, we don't want you to feel any obligation that you need to put something in the pouch as it passes by. We are so thankful that you are here. I know some of you will. So thank you in advance for how you give. And if you like to give a non-traditional way, you can text the number on the screen, go to our app or website, or you can even drop a check in the mail if you're OG. Who's OG and has one of those three ring check binders? Anybody? Y'all aren't putting up your hands out. I'm not shaming you. My dad had one of those, so I have great affinity for y'all. But we just want to thank you for how you give, because nothing of what we do is possible. I want to take a moment to share a little bit about something that happened in our building this past week. A lot of you know that we were hosting McCrest, which for those of you that don't, is the Macomb County Rotating Emergency Shelter Team. And we had, between our location and McCrest's physical location, somewhere around 50 to 60 people that don't have what we would consider pretty normal in our lives. And the reason we were able to offer our space and have people have a warm place to sleep when it's not so nice outside and breakfast, lunch given to them on the way and dinner at night is because of those of you who come around in community and support us. We have a building because of that. We're able to press in. People brought food. On Wednesday night I was here and I was just amazed by the amount of people bringing in supplies to continue to feed and show people that we genuinely love and care for them. And the reason that I get so geeked up on this is because of some of the words Jesus said. He was looking with some of his followers and and he says to them, you've done these things and it's like you've done it for me. When you feed somebody, when you house them, when you shelter them, the quote unquote least of those in the society. And the people looked at him and they said, when did we do something like that and see you? And he tells says to them, when you did it for anyone, you did it for the least of these, it's like you did it for me. And there are a lot of people in this community that are a part of that. And the only reason we're able to do what we do is because of you. And if you're one of those, I want to say thank you. And if you're not and you've been on the fence, man, I'd love to invite you to maybe take a rep and jump in on the next one and see what it is that God might move you into in that process. Before we get started, we're going to take a look at a quick video here to kind of set us up for where we're going to the day, and then I'll come back. So let's go ahead and watch this together. Observe the vast branches and lush leafy canopy, the wide trunk and sprawling branches, the roots impossibly deep. How has this plant grown? It was love. The plant's existence seems not for itself now, but instead it has a home, a resting place, and shade for others. Its branches are laden with fruit to nourish and to bring forth new life. That's the goal, isn't it? Sounds great. Sounds great in this growing process where we come to know God and we experience his love and then we live out of what is happening there. Like we're like a tree that's planted by the water. So we're always receiving the nutrients that we need to grow, right? And when we come to that place, a big factor in it is when we understand the way that God looks at us, the way that he loves us. So what about that? What about that idea? Because I would imagine in a room like this, a lot of us have heard that before. 
Some of you dozens, if you grew up in church, maybe hundreds of times you've heard this, this phrase or this statement that God is love and he loves us and he genuinely cares for us. But if we're honest, we're not sure exactly what that means. Because in a lot of our interactions in life, it just hasn't played out in the way that we thought it would. There's been good and there's been bad moments. And, and what we do is, this is what I think. I think we look at people, especially somebody that maybe genuinely cared and loved us, and then we take the love that we received in them and we place it on God. But there's a problem with that. You see, each and every single one of us, me, all of you, any pastor you've ever heard, theologian, the best Christian that you have ever met, seen, or experienced online falls short in loving the way that God loves us. See, what we do is we love people in a certain way, and there's moments where we genuinely feel that, and it goes down deep, and it gives us the goods inside of us. But then for a lot of us, those same people have kind of moved out of that. And we've experienced not love, but the other side of that dynamic in that relationship. So then what we've done is we assume when we hear God is love that he does the exact same thing. But in God's love, it's different. And the purpose of God's love is kind of the vision statement of this church. We believe Kensington exists to see people mobilized and transformed by the message of Jesus. And the only way we can understand that is when we finally begin to walk into this dynamic of how God loves us. That's the journey we've been on, right? The first step is we believe. And as we believe God, we start to seek him. We start to go after him and learn who he is. But the problem then becomes we can learn a lot about God and we can miss who God is. And if we mess up on that step, boy, the way he loves us won't come through. But when we genuinely get to know God, we start to feel his love in a new way. And we experience it and it starts to change us and we're different even though we don't quite fully grasp what it is. You see, there was a guy in the Bible that we talk about quite frequently who was transformed by the message of Jesus. And he had an amazing life after that fact and what he was able to do in some capacities. And his name was Paul. And a lot of you are familiar with Paul. You know that he's written a good portion of this New Testament. I actually believe, and a lot of people would argue, that next to Jesus, the Apostle Paul is the most influential person in the history of the world because of what he wrote in this text. And a lot of us think, yeah, that's great. Paul was incredibly lovable. Look at what he did. Look at how he followed Jesus. Look at the things that he was able to produce in this book. And now how much we grow and experience it. But the amazing factor in this is who Paul was before. You see, Paul was one of those Pharisees, the guys that had so much of this book memorized. But in the process of learning about God, Paul didn't come to know him. Paul learned a lot about God, but he missed on who he was. And then when he heard this message of Jesus that was teaching something new, he didn't understand that every word written in this book was pointing to him. And as such, his life's mission became persecuting the followers of Jesus. Paul went after them. Paul had them thrown in jail. There's this moment where this comes to a head and Jesus does not like what Paul's doing. Not because he dislikes Paul, not because he hates him, but because the dynamic he's a part of is confusing people in not only their love for him, but Paul's as well. So Jesus has this moment where he literally meets Paul on the road in a vision. We don't have time to get into details of it all, but it's in Acts chapter nine, if you wanna to go to read it, but there's this bright light that shines from the sky. And as it happens, everybody in the group sees it, but Paul hears a voice and Jesus says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? 
And as the whole interaction goes, Paul loses his sight. He follows Jesus' command to go to a city where there's this man who miraculously heals Paul. And in this moment, Jesus shows Paul what he really wants in his life. You see, Paul had this dynamic, this relationship that was not based on experience. He knew a lot about God, but he didn't know him. And as such, it led him to actually persecute the very entity that he claimed to love, that he claimed to care about. But Jesus wasn't okay to leave Paul where he was. You see, Jesus loved Paul just as much in the state of him as a persecutor as is the state of the author who wrote so much of what it is that we have for today. And Paul ends up being a mouthpiece for the gospel. I think one of the reasons Paul ended up doing everything that he did, all of these experiences, interactions we know of Paul, because he came to the conclusion of how deeply he was loved, not just as his life was transformed and he starts writing these things, but even before when he was literally God's enemy. And because of that, he wanted to live his life out in a different kind of way. He understood the depth of what Paul, or what, the way that God loved us, and he wanted every single person to experience it. That's why he wrote so much. Paul's writings are actually letters to churches to help them understand and come to the conclusion the way that God loves us. And in one of these letters, he writes to a church in Galatia that was under his care. He wants them to come to understand this dynamic that he speaks of. And in it, he says this to the church, Galatians 4.19. My dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So in this metaphor, Paul uses the metaphor of a woman who's giving birth, right? Pretty intense scenario. Ladies, can I get an amen? Yeah, that one came quick, right? Like, everybody's like, yeah, you can get an amen, right? And that's how he felt, though. You see, he knew what it was like to live on the other side, to learn about just in the process of seeking, knowing about God and miss him in the process. And when you do that, this entire love component that Jesus, that God created for us, gets pushed to the back. We don't understand what he thinks about us. We don't experience him the way we want to. And then what happens is we take that feeling and we press it on other people. That's what a, the more of Paul's life was actually probably persecuting the church than the other side. He had people thrown in jail. He had people murdered. He ripped families apart. But that whole time God looked at him and he saw a man with potential because he knew that he created Paul for something better. And as such, he went after Paul. He wasn't happy. He wasn't content to leave Paul sitting and rolling in this kind of life. And what he invited Paul into in this moment is the invitation that he gives to every single one of us today and in every stage of our life. And that's what this series is about. It's about how that starts to happen. Like these five topics that we're walking through are not just a series of steps. Because see, I, I want to reiterate our thinking on this. Because what we can do is we can think this growing stage that we've talked about is steps, right? And we finally, as we go up the steps, get to this place where we finally arrive. But that's not what it's like. It's much more like a game of Monopoly. And hold with me because you'll see where I'm going. Has anybody ever played a full-out, legit game of Monopoly? Not Monopoly cheat. Yeah, I saw you pointing your fingers to a certain place. I feel you. I'm with you, right? So give me your hands one more time. Oh my, wow, there is more of, you all are committed. In one day? Yes, a couple of no's, all right. Like, Monopoly takes forever. 
Like they've got Monopoly cheat now and I love it because I can be done in like 30 minutes or less with my children, but Monopoly is such a long game, right? And this process is a little bit like that because it's this journey, it's this circle that we go around, this process where we're constantly seeking God. And in the process of seeking him, we get to know him. And as we get to know him, we understand how he loves us, which in turn wants us to obey, which we'll talk about next week. But it's also a lot like Monopoly in this way. Anybody ever pick up one of them chance cards and you're super excited about what it's going to do, the property you're going to move to and instantly own, or the hotel you're going to be able to put, and you get one of those go to jails? (laughs) Yeah, it's soul crushing. I can't believe I want to beat my children so badly (laughs) that I am frustrated when I get one of those cards. But sometimes life's a lot like picking up one of those. We're in this process and when there's a journey of going around and there's bumps in the road, there's hiccups and sometimes we get sent to Monopoly jail or life jail, whatever that looks like. Maybe somebody got sick. Maybe somebody wronged us. Maybe that love that we've talked about was drawn. But there's, there's other moments where it's good where you pass go and you collect $200. But what God wants us to understand is his love for us does not mean that life is always gonna be pass go and collect $200. But in spite of that, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, just like Paul or any other follower of Jesus throughout all of history, he wants to walk with us in this process. We need to be with Jesus because when we're with him, We'll come to understand more of who he is, how much he loves us, which then gives us power that we can walk out into in life. Dallas Willard is a uh, theologian. Uh, He's gone now, but he's just so much wisdom. And he talks about this in a quote. He says this. He says, we, us, people who are followers of Jesus, we're learning how to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. Okay, that can be a little bit confusing, but let me break it down. So leave this slide up here for a second. So we're learning how to be with Jesus. You see, the way we interact with each other just isn't the way we interact with God because he's not physically here in flesh the way we are. Now, God is physically here. Don't let that be lost. Bible actually tells us if you're a follower of Jesus, the God of the universe has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. So he is always with us. But in that process, it's different. We have to learn how to interact with him. We have to learn how to grow with him because I just can't grab Ralph and have a conversation with him. Well, I can. I can't do that with Jesus in the same way. So what he does is he comes alongside us and he says, I want to teach you how to be with me. And the reason I want to teach you how to be with me is because I've got something to let you in on. There's things in life that I want to show you, that I want to grow you in, so you can live in this abundant life. And when we are with Jesus, so we can learn about Jesus, then we become more like him. And as we become more like him, those chance cards that throw us to jail, well, they still hurt. Man, they just don't hit us the way they used to. There's things that happen, circumstances. You look at Paul's life, this is clearly laid out. And I'm not saying it's not hard. Because listen, there's even moments in Paul's life where he says, I couldn't do it. Jesus literally had to carry me through the things that I was enduring and going through. But the truth about what God did for Paul is exactly what he wants to do for every single one of us. And this process begins as we go through our growth journey. Can we throw the growth journey slide up here quickly? See, we believe in God, and once we believe in him, we start to seek him. And as we seek him, we know more about him, which leads us to love him, and then we obey. See, here's the thing. We can believe in God and then miss out on this whole next step part. And what happens is that abundant life, like, yes, we will get heaven. 
We will be there with Jesus one day, but Jesus coming was not just about us getting to heaven. The Lord knew that this world had sin entering into it and it was gonna be hard, so he enlists this process so that in our journey, in the here and now, we can be near him so we can learn from him and then how to act more like him. That is not just the call, but his desire for every single one of us in this life. Because see, what can happen is we look at this book as a list of rules. It's a list of rules and regulations and it hampers us. And that's what happens when we read this with no relationship. You see, when we know about God, but we don't know the depth of his heart and how he loves us, we understand that this is not just about rules. It's about God showing us how to live our best kind of life. You see, God created us, and he knows the ethic ethic for what can bring satisfaction. So when he writes things in this book about how to handle our money, or how our sexuality should operate, or how we should treat other people, or whatever the topic it is, it's not him hampering us. It's not him coming down on us. It's him knowing that as he created us, what will bring real joy and lasting value. And when we learn how to be with Jesus, we then learn about him, which enables us to walk in a different kind of thing. What about this love dynamic? Let me ask a question first. Does God have feelings? I like some yeses. Let me tell you, God has some feelings. There is a way that God feels about every single one of us. And what we tend to do, (laughs) again, we ascribe what we've experienced to God. Um, I didn't know this movie, so don't judge me. Somebody had to tell me what it was. Anybody ever seen um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? So I suffered one day with my wife because I don't watch chick flicks. Tough guy. (laughs) There, Yeah, me neither. That's right. We're going to start a group. Pray for us. In that movie, there's a line where I think it's Kate Hudson. She looks at at Benny, right? And she says, Benny, I love you, but I don't have to like you right now. Remember that part? See, a lot of us think that Kate Hudson's description of Benny is the way that God looks at us. He loves us, but he don't really like us. He's not too keen on what it is that we're doing, and as such, that love is removed. And because of that, we hear transform. like, yeah, that's the state it is where God comes to us and we're eventually loved. But that's not at all what it is. John, in one of his writings to a group of people, says this, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. You see, love doesn't define God. It's actually the other way around. God is the creator of love, and the way he does it, the way that he looks at us, is every single one of us in our fallen, broken state with whatever problems and issues and things that we have done wrong, he looks at us and he says, you're not loved when you're transformed. You're loved because of who you are. And that's one of my children. If you're a person and you are breathing, you bear the image of God. I don't care how tall you are, how short you are, if you're male, female, what the the what color you are, any of that. God looks at every single one of us and he says, you are loved because of who you are and that is a person that bears my image. But here's sometimes where we get it a little bit twisted. We think because of our experiences in society and with other people that our shame, our sin or whatever removes that love because that's been our experience, right? Somebody loves us and we do something wrong and their love is contingent on how we act. That's not how it is with God. 
That's not how he looks at us. That's not what his desire for us in any way. In the Greek language, I think there's, don't quote me on this, but there's like seven words that are diff- define the different kinds of love. We don't have that in English, right? We use love for the same thing. Like, I love pizza, right? And I love April. And two of those should have very different meaning, right? But sometimes we love the baseball or we love the lions, praying for all of you, not fasting because I'm not going that far with it, right? But in, but in the Greek, there's different words for the different types of love that can make a distinction for if you're talking about your child, your spouse, or your favorite TV show or sports team. And in the text, when John says God is love, he's using this term called agape, which I know is familiar to a lot of you, but it's actually a term that's pretty hard to define. So rather than define it, I just want to describe a couple of things about it. And this is the way that God looks at us. When he says, God is love and I love you, he's talking about agape. He's not talking about pizza. He's not talking about the lions. It's a love which is not based on any merit in the person who receives the love. It's not earned. It's the kind of love that is consistently looking for the benefit of the object of the love unconditionally. See, this isn't a common kind of love. Most of us in our relationships, even ones where we are deeply care for each other, don't live this out in a very typical, common way. And because of that, we've attached our experience of what love is onto God. And we assume that he loves us the way that others have loved us and interacted in our life. And the truth is, is that's just now how it is. And when we live in that, there's horrific consequences that come for it. We start to ascribe certain values and ethics to God that aren't true of him at all. They're not true of his character. They're not true of how he thinks and feels about any one of us. God's love, yes, it's a decision, but it's not a feeling that goes away. And probably to describe that, I wanna take us to Luke 15 and talk about three stories that Jesus told to reiterate that. Jesus told these things called parables when he was on earth. And basically a parable is a story that he would communicate to tell people truth, to help them understand. And in Luke 15, he gives three very specific examples. And in these examples, we get to see the way that God views us. And the first is of a sheep that gets lost. Right, And the shepherd has a hundred sheep and he's got his fold, which is the pen. It's where the sheep are housed. And he comes to this conclusion that one of them is gone. So he leaves what's important to him in order to go find the lost sheep. And he works hard and he searches just diligently. And finally he finds this lost sheep. And the text tells us he puts it on his shoulders. He comes back, he rejoices with his neighbor because what was valuable, was important to him, was lost as now is found. And after he tells that story, he then tells the story of this woman who lives in this space and she's got these coins that are incredibly valuable and one of them gets lost. So she goes to great lengths to get it back. She knows it's in her house, so she tears the entire place apart. She sweeps the hall. She's ripping out drawers. She's throwing the clothing all over the place. Moms and dads, some of you, it looks like the way your children put their clothes away, right, in that moment. And she is relentlessly pursuing this coin because it's valuable, And when she finds it, she does the same thing as the shepherd. She calls her friends together. She says, rejoice with me, for this coin that was lost is found. It's an exciting day. 
And the story's climax with one that for a lot of us, again, is familiar. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in it, I think we get some of the greatest detail into the way that God looks at every single one of us, regardless of where we are in our journey. Follower of Jesus, way before Jesus. Telling others about Jesus or persecuting people just like Paul does. And in this story, there's a a man, and he's pretty wealthy. And he has a couple of sons. And one of his sons comes to him one day, and he says, Dad, I'm out. I don't know what the dynamic is, but he had a pretty bad relationship, at least from his perspective, towards his father. He said, I want to be gone. Give me my share of the inheritance, which is a pretty awful thing to say to your dad, right? So his dad obliges, and he gives him his money, and the son leaves, and he goes into the world, and he loses everything that he's gained on frivolous living. And as that happens, the love relationships that he has been and experienced, the friends that he had, all leave him. They leave him and he's gone. He's got no place to stay. A famine comes to the land and he needs to find a way to work. So he ends up probably on a farm of some sort feeding pigs. And as he's feeding the pigs, he finds himself longing and yearning to eat the pods that he is feeding to them. And he says, wait a second. My father has servants who live better than this. Like, I know that I've messed up, but I'm going to go home. And he prepares this whole speech about how he's going to tell his dad, like, I know I was wrong, but can I just enter back in and be a servant? Because at least I'll have a warm place to stay and three square meals a day. So the son decides he's going to leave, and he's on the journey home. And I wonder what that process was like for him. But as he's getting close to the house, he can see the barns and all of his father's stuff in the distance, probably walked by a couple of his servants who I'm sure sneered at him because they all know what he's done. But we get to see the father's response to the son in this moment. It's in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, the second part of the verse, and it says this. It says, while he, that's the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Now think about the context. This this son has said to his father, you're dead to me. The only thing you're good for me is I want the money that you've worked for your whole life. Like, I want you to put it in my hand now rather than when you die. And he left. See, this son was a lot like Paul before he met Jesus. But his father sees him coming. He runs out. The text tells us that he has love and compassion. Does that sound like a father that doesn't have feelings? Is that how I think a father who's just cool with whatever it is that happened that like, I uh, love you, but I don't have to like you right now. No, that sounds like a father to me that loved slash liked his son, who missed his son, who saw that he was gone and wanted him to enter back immediately into a relationship with him with all the rights and privileges that come to it. And the text continues because the son starts to launch into the speech that he wants to give his dad to try to reconcile the relationship, but his dad cuts him off and he says this. He yells back to his servants. He says, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead. But he's alive again. He was lost and he was found. And now they're celebrating. Does that sound like no feelings? Does that sound like a God who doesn't love us? Because I'm telling you right now, the father in the story is God. And every single one of us are the son. We have wandered. We have gone away. We have wronged our father. We've told him in some manner, shape, or form, you are dead to me. And the only thing I want from you is the benefit. But in that moment, God looks at us, looks at the son with love, with tenderness, compassion, and wants to welcome us back into the fold. Like, imagine yourself for the son in this for a moment. 
you've done this and you're walking home and you are, anybody else do this? Like I go to have a conversation and I play it over and over in my head a hundred times to get it right. You ever get a little anxious when that happens? I got like two nods. Thanks everybody. It's just me. <laughs> right? That's the son. He's walking home. Imagine he saw that servant who sneered at him and all those feelings he'd been processing just came back up. He knows he's going to get to his dad and he's wondering, is he going to run me off the property or is he going to embrace me back in? And then he starts to get home and he sees somebody start to run in a distance and pretty quickly he comes to the conclusion it's his dad. And then all of the anxiety comes back. He's wondering what's going to happen. Is he going to tell him to get the you-know-what out because of what it is that he's done? But then there's a moment where his dad gets relatively close. I would guess it's something around the time frame of back there in the alley here that we have in the auditorium, and he can see the kindness in his father's eyes. He probably sees the tears strumming, starting to stream down his face, and as his dad gets to them, he wants to launch into this speech about how he was wrong, but the father shouts him down in the best kind of way to tell him that he is so thrilled that he is back in community with us. Listen to me, that's the way that God loves us. You wanna know what the father in the story was doing in my opinion? Every night after the son left, I bet you the father went out on the porch first thing in the morning and he looked in the distance to see if his son was coming home. I'll bet you as he was in his work throughout the day, there'd be moments he would look up and long and yearn and wonder if his son was ever gonna come back to him. And the last thing he did at the end of the day after he tucked his remaining children in bed, put all his affairs in order, had his dinner, he went out on the front porch and he looked to the horizon to see if the son was coming. See, that father was ready and willing and able to love, to encourage, to show compassion and mercy to the son who had wronged him, who had maligned him. And when he came back, this love that God has for every single one of us is demonstrated in a very clear way, exactly the way God looks at us, regardless of where we are and where we find ourselves in this position in life. But one of the reasons, again, I think this is hard for us is because we have lived in an economy in our entire life where love has been an exchange. We've given, we've quote unquote paid, and because of that, we've received back. And when the other person isn't quite as interested in the economy we can offer, that love has been pulled back. And because of that, we think that God treats us the same way. Only when we begin to understand how much God loves us are we able to walk in this new type of relationship that Jesus is offering us. And once we begin to walk in it with him, the great things, he wants to use us as a tool, as an avenue to help other people walk into it as well. You see, 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he first loved us. To unlock the power to transform us and let us live out life in this type of way, we need to experience God's love. You notice that John, the same guy who wrote God is love, wrote this as well. You see, we love because he first loved us. And his love didn't start when we started to transform. It didn't start in that moment where we believed. It started when we existed. Actually, far beyond that. Because God knew every single one of us. 
He knew our struggles. He knew our hardships. He knew what we would be good at. He knew the day that you would be born. He knows the hairs on our head, and he knows the day that we will exit this earth. And what we know from Scripture is his longing, his desire, is that none of us would perish. None of us would be separated from him because of his great love. He wants every single one of us to walk into a relationship with him, and not just so we can experience heaven, but that here in the heart of this earth, that we could live this thing that scripture calls the abundant life. You see, our love for God and others is a response to experiencing the deep love of God in our soul. Only when we start to understand that and walk in it can we live out life in the fullest in the way that scripture calls the abundant type of life. We're gonna talk more about that next week, but I think all of this also leads us to the place where we ask a question of ourselves. Am I living loved? Am I living this like, like I'm loved the way the shepherd loved his sheep or the way that the woman went after the coin or finally culminating in the way the father went after the son who'd written him off, who'd ostracized him, I would say possibly even hate. Are we living, we're loved like the father that ran out after his son. Like if I was to stop and take a camera and go back or follow you throughout your week, would you live like that? Or would you live, or would it look like more you're living with shame? Like you're living with guilt. Like you're looking like every time we sin that God says, ah, yeah, I gotta back up. (laughs) I gotta get away because you're not worthy. The way that you're acting is not worthy. It's not indicative of somebody who's a relationship with me. Is that how we fall? Because what I've come to understand in my own life and the shame that I've experienced in my past is most of the time, no, not most of the time, every time, God's not moving away from me. My preconceived notions are taking me away from him. And as I move away from him, he's back and his arms are open. And every single time, he's just waiting He's just waiting for us to come back. Like the son. I think the father was looking in the distance, longing and waiting, and that's what God wants for every single one of us. So when we say God is love, that's the picture that comes to our mind, that should come to our mind, not shame and guilt. No, it's no matter how bad we've messed up, no matter what we have done that has pushed us away from God, not him away from us, he is standing with his arms open wide, longing for the day that we will come back to him. In his book, uh, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, Richard Lovelace describes God's love as a type of fire. And it's a fire that produces warmth. And when we're close to the fire, we feel the warmth. Who loves to, especially in a fall or cool night, to get out by a fire? You get close to it, right? And you feel the warmth, right? And it it holds you close and you love it, but we can step away from it at any point. You see, that's what it's like in a relationship with God. It's like he's this fire, this warmth, and he's inviting us to be as close to him as we want, to be near, to feel that. But what we do is we trade that warmth for other things. We look for acknowledgement from our friends, from our peers, from our wealth, from society, from a whole list of other things. And what we do is we walk away from the fire and those things can't keep us warm the way the fire can. And then we're frustrated and we're mad at God. And he's there going, just come back. 
Just walk with me. I love you. This isn't about me and my kingdom. This is about me flipping the kingdoms of the world upside down. The God of the universe coming to serve us, not so that we can just serve him. God takes the world's economy, the world's idea of love, and he turns it upside down on its head. Because he knows that when we've done it our way, we find ourselves frustrated, angry, upset. But that's because we've been looking for love in the wrong places, or maybe we've been defining it even differently than it should. The Apostle Paul also believed this again, just to reiterate something he said. There's a letter he wrote to a church in a town called Ephesus, and Paul loved these people. He spent time with them. He was interwoven in their lives. And in this letter, he writes some of these most fantastic words that tell them about not only the love that God has for them, but the power that he wants them to walk into the power to do something different in this life, that he created them uniquely, wonderfully to walk in certain things that no other person would be able to do quite the same. And he says, I wanna come alongside you. I want you to know me as you seek me. And when you do, I'm gonna love you in such a way that you're gonna understand something new. And when you understand this love, you're gonna walk into something that you never thought was possible. That's what Paul did. That's what the other authors of scripture have done. And that's what men and women throughout all of human history that have ever been able to accomplish something have been able to understand. And that's that God is love. And his love isn't contingent upon what they do. It's something he wants to invite us into so that we can live out this kind of life in a different way. It's the thing the scripture calls the abundant life. And I don't even fully understand what that is, but what I've known and come to understand is I want to walk in it. I want to walk in it because there's a different way to live. And as we do that, that this little light that we've sung about growing up, something inside of us will start to shine. And the world will take notice. You see, darkness doesn't drive out light. When you light a lighter, a flashlight, it is seen no matter how dark the room is. And that's what God wants each and every one of us to do. He wants to walk, us to walk into something for our benefit. And where that starts is when we begin to understand the depth of his love. Because as we walk in this love, power will come out of us. Let me read you this scripture that Paul said. It's going to be up on the screen. I would encourage you to take a picture of it with your phone. Because I think it's a prayer we should pray throughout this week in order to help us walk into this thing that God has. This is what the scripture says. God, I pray that out of your glorious riches that you may strengthen us with power through your spirit. There's that power. In our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our heart through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that I may be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. Listen, God wants to fill us with the full measure of who he is. But we have to start to walk in that. And the way that we walk in that is this process we've been talking about. We believe and after believe, we start to seek. We seek in order to know God, not to know about him, but to know who he is. And as we begin to know him, we realize this great love that he has for us. And then we will start to walk out of this life in obedience, which we will talk about next week. 
God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us to walk in this abundant life. But sometimes for a lot of us, and it's different in seasons, we miss it because of our own ideas and understandings of God. And one of the reasons Jesus came, one of the reasons I believe the church was established is because he knew that there would be moments where we needed to have others help us, remind us of who that is. And I'm not talking about me on a stage. I'm talking about the church every single one of us walking into something to help us do this. Paul closes his letter like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen to me. This is not contingent on us. If it was up to me, I fall short every single time. The only part we have to play is getting on this journey and walking in this. And when we start to walk in this power, God will step in. And as he steps in, he will start to show us. He will start to teach us. We will be with Jesus in order to learn from Jesus so we can be what? Like Jesus. That is God's heart for every single one of us, whether you have been following him for decades or are just getting into this. So when you hear that God may love you, but he doesn't like you, it's not true. Live in light of this reality because it's not what I've said. It's what God has said in his word and it's what he wants for every single one of us. Amen? Let's pray. My goodness, Lord, I'm so thankful for the way that you've moved me and helped me just understand the depth of your love and not just for me, for all of us. I pray that as we walk out of here today, we would start to walk in this light because when we do, it's not my words, it's your words. Power will start to flow out of us and it's not power to build us up, to make us better. It's power to make your kingdom known and help other people and ourselves start to, start to walk in this abundant life that you offer us. I pray that this would be a reality, not just for me, but for all of us. And I ask it in the mighty name of King Jesus' name that you would come through and show us what this looks like. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. No. 
Pastor Adam said, like the young man that was the prodigal son, and sometimes we can think that there's things that we can do that God will fall out of love with us. But I'm convinced through my own life and the stories that we read in the Bible that there is nothing that we can do that God will stop loving us. So I want to invite you to stand as we sing a few more songs. God, we look to you because you're the only one that loves us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. You never walk out on us. You love us for us. Yeah.
before I sing this next song with no one looking around and no one judging anyone we don't sing these songs to me but we sing these songs to the Father for what he did over 2,000 years ago he didn't look at the color of your skin he didn't look at your track record he died for every single person in here so if if I could get you to do something just as, as a point of reference, as a point, a sign of surrender, can we lift our hands to heaven? Just signifying that we say thank you. It's a simple song. Yeah. He is jealous for Love's like a hurricane, and I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware, these afflictions eclipse my glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are.
God's love for us is not contingent on anything we do. No good, no wrong, no poor deed could ever make him think anything less about us. Yes, God loves us, but you know what else? I'm pretty sure he likes us pretty well too. That's something that's new to you or you just need somebody to pray with about that. Our prayer team's gonna be down in front, but I would really challenge you that picture of that verse in Ephesians. Pray through that this week and next week because here's what I know. God's love isn't just about us feeling it and experiencing it. Yes, that's a huge portion of it, but there's power he wants to release in every single one of us to walk into something. And when we walk into that, watch out world. There's gonna be some pretty amazing things happening in a community with a group of people that understand the way God loves us. And then that love is to enable us to walk into real power to do something with the people around us. I'm so thankful you all were here with us this week. Would love to invite you for next week. We're gonna finish this series off. But until then, have a fantastic Sunday. Enjoy your week and hopefully we'll see you all next time. Bye everyone. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.